Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You made it. Here. Finally. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of that place you've always wanted to go. You know the one. It's nice. Even the kids like it. This place is so cool. And they never like it. Mom, can we go to the pool? Look at that. Not even asking for the Wi-Fi. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. I, I've been married twice. Uh, the first time I was very young and uh, closeted, in part because of all the homophobia and bigotry and stuff like that. This is Jackie Fulton, a producer here at Civics 101. And this is Fendel Fulton. I'm Fendel Fulton. I am Jackie's other half. Jackie and Fendel got married at Odeon Point in November of 2018. I remember when I went with my um, ex, now ex-husband, and we're doing the paperwork and stuff, and it asked if we were cousins or if we were blood-related. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but, but it was, like, super easy to fill out, you know, uh, no problem. And so whenever Fendel and I went to do the um, paperwork, it asked... <laughs> it asked who is person A and who is person B. And I was like, well, how do we know? <laughs> like, I'm like, I guess, I guess Findle could be person A because they're older than I am. Yeah, I, t- I took the A role. Jackie took the B role. But that's not indicative of our actual, actual roles in life. <laughs> You're listening to Civics 101. I'm Nick Capodice. And I'm Jackie Fulton. And today we're learning about one of the most recent landmark Supreme Court decisions. So recent, it is not yet required in many states' civics curriculum, though I imagine it will be soon. The decision that made marriage, marriage. Obergefell v. Hodges, 2015. A Supreme Court ruling announced minutes ago extends same-sex marriage in America. The justices rule five to four that states do not... Before we get started, I just want to know why, Nick. Why is the government involved in marriage in the first place? Well, Jackie, as you know, marriage was not always about two people who loved each other. Before the late 1800s, the explicit goal of marriage was usually to acquire useful in-laws, pass down property, and gain political and economic power. But there's a shift around the turn of the century with the rise of wage labor, uh, where states begin to use marriage as a way to give out resources like health care or social security. And frankly, they do this because it's cheap to do it that way. Instead of giving everyone those resources, just give them to the breadwinner in a family via an employer and extend them to your spouse and children. 
Okay, and so a same-sex union flies in the face of this system. And therefore, LGBTQ plus couples who live together did not get those resources. They did not. Same-sex unions have existed since the beginning of recorded times, as has homophobia. But in the United States, LGBTQ plus couples have lived together in relationships akin to marriage in every facet, save the legal benefits. The only way a couple could get those benefits, and this happened predominantly in the 1970s to the 2000s, was for one partner to adopt the other. How far back do we have to go to understand marriage equality laws before June of 2015? The first challenge to the legal definition of marriage being between two people of the opposite sex was in the 1970s. Baker versus Nelson, which is a 1971 case out of the Minnesota State Supreme Court. This is Melissa Wasser. She's policy counsel at POGO, the Project on Government Oversight. James McConnell and Richard Baker applied for a marriage license in Minneapolis, and the district court clerk refused to grant it because they were both men. And it went up to the Minnesota Supreme Court. So even though that's a state Supreme Court, Baker in that case ended up appealing to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court had a one-line order that said this appeal did not raise, quote, a substantial federal question, and so they couldn't take it. It was dismissed. None of the lawsuits in the 1970s seeking recognition of marriages between gay and lesbian couples were successful. And so the next big milestone is 1991 in Hawaii. The Hawaii Supreme Court had a case that said that their state's prohibition on same-sex marriage might be unconstitutional. In a case called Bear v. Lewin, the Supreme Court of Hawaii sent their verdict back to a lower court asking them to demonstrate that denying marriage licenses to same-sex couples, quote, furthers compelling state interests. Oh, so basically they're saying prove that preventing marriage to same-sex couples is good for Hawaii. Right. And they formed a commission to do just that. Two commissions, actually. The first commission failed to give a report. But the second commission reported they'd studied the benefits of marriage and public policy, and they recommended Hawaii open marriage to all. Why did they fail to give a report? What was up with that? (laughs) Honestly, they just couldn't get their stuff together. You had one job. In the mid-90s, there was that case making its way through the courts in Hawaii. And John's stepmother at the time actually said, you know, if this happens, if they make marriage a possibility in Hawaii, I'm going to take the entire family there so you guys can get married. Who is that? I'm Jim Obergefell, the named plaintiff in Obergefell v. Hodges, the landmark Supreme Court marriage equality case. The Obergefell? The very same. He and his partner, John Arthur, had been together some time when this all happened in Hawaii, when it seemed like marriage equality would be possible. Well, that never happened. And John and I talked about it, and and we both agreed that for us, we didn't want to just have a symbolic ceremony. We had friends who, you know, had ceremonies um, in Ohio and elsewhere, but for us, that, that just wasn't what we wanted. We wanted to marry only if it actually carried legal weight. Now might be a good time to explain civil unions. Right, there were different rules in each state regulating same-sex unions. But while couples all over the country would perform civil unions for family and friends, these couples did not receive the state-sanctioned benefits of marriage. And we're talking inheritance rights, huge tax benefits, insurance, social security. And Jim and John wanted those benefits. Yeah, of course they did, like everybody else. This court case in Hawaii 
caused a backlash against marriage equality. And it brought the topic into the national spotlight. Battle lines were drawn. States hastily passed legislation mandating marriage as something between one man and one woman. Not just in Hawaii, it was also at the federal level, which ended up with the enactment of the Defense of Marriage Act, uh, or DOMA. Uh, and that was by signed into law by President Bill Clinton in 1996. Obviously, the results of this bill will not be to preserve anything, but will serve to attack a group of people out of various motives and rationales. Humanity has discovered that the permanent relationship between men and women is a keystone to the stability, strength, and health of human society. That was Democratic Senator John Kerry speaking against the Defense of Marriage Act, and also Democratic Senator Robert Byrd speaking for it. It passed resoundingly in the House and the Senate, with support from both parties, only 14 senators voted against it. The Defense of Marriage Act, or DOMA, was a federal law that defined marriage for federal purposes as the union of one man and one woman. So that meant anything that uh, federal benefits uh, dealt with, so insurance benefits, Social Security, survivor benefits, filing a joint tax return. Um, if you were married for those purposes, it was between one man and one woman. And so that was Section 3 of DOMA. Section two of DOMA was that states were allowed to refuse recognition of same-sex marriages that were granted from other states and other jurisdictions. So think like Canada, um, or if other states had same-sex marriage laws, it wouldn't transfer state to state like other benefits did. In the decade after Hawaii's ruling, many states, including Hawaii itself, passed constitutional amendments and legislation banning marriage for all but opposite-sex couples. And one of the most famous was Prop 8 in California. Castro District. The streets of Castro and Market were full of people celebrating Barack Obama's win. Their party turned somber, though, when they realized that Proposition 8 was headed for victory. Supporters of gay marriage tell us they thought they had reached the top. California legalized same-sex marriage in May of 2008, and thousands of couples got married. But the backlash was swift. And California put a proposition, uh, an initiative that the people vote on, on the ballot that November, which banned marriage within same-sex couples. And financial support for Prop 8 poured in from out of state, uh, primarily from religious institutions like the Roman Catholic Church and the Knights of Columbus. Uh, and the vast majority of donations, as well as volunteers, came from the Mormon community. And Prop 8 passed. Yeah, I remember uh, that was heartbreaking. A lot of couples who had already gotten married, uh, didn't they have to have their marriages annulled? No, they did not have to have their marriages annulled uh, because as soon as the legislation passed, a trio of cases went to the California Supreme Court to argue that Prop 8 was unconstitutional because it took away people's fundamental rights. And the court ruled that Prop 8 was constitutional, but those 18,000 marriages remained legally valid. Interesting. Hmm. Um, were there any gains for those fighting for marriage equality in the wake of all this? There were a few. Notably, in 2004, Massachusetts was the first state to license and recognize marriages between same-sex couples. Other states followed, including New York, uh, which brings us to our next milestone, United States v. Windsor. I wanted to tell you what marriage meant to me. Uh, it, it's kind of crazy. We lived together for 40 years. We were engaged 
with with the circle diamond pin because I wouldn't wear a ring because I was still in the closet. Uh, I am today an out lesbian, okay, who just sued the United States of America, which is kind of overwhelming for me. Um, Edie Windsor and Thea Spire were married in New York State in 2008. Thea died in 2009 and left her entire estate to Edie Windsor. When a spouse dies, um, their surviving spouse gets to claim a tax exemption, where I believe you get an unlimited spousal deduction and you pay no federal estate tax on what your deceased spouse leaves you. She... (laughs) wanted to claim that exemption, but was barred by Section 3 of DOMA, which, again, dealt with because marriage is between one man and one woman at the federal level, you don't get any benefits. So she had to pay, it was $363,053. By the time the case ended, it was over $638,000 in estate tax payments that the government had to pay back. Um, But she sued the federal government because if you think about it, what, what is it? Had Edie been Eddie, a man, you know, then she would have qualified for that unlimited spousal deduction. Melissa was in the courtroom when U.S. v. Windsor was argued and when the opinion was read. And the court ruled five to four that the Defense of Marriage Act imposes a, quote, disadvantage, a separate status and so a stigma to LGBTQ married couples and thus violated the due process protections of the Fifth Amendment. And so, DOMA is struck down. By seeking to displace this protection and treating those persons as living in marriages less respected than others, Section 3 of DOMA is in violation of the Fifth Amendment. This opinion and its- I have an honest civics clarification here. You said due process in the Fifth Amendment. I thought due process was the Fourteenth Amendment. I had the same question. And I know listeners are going to hear, there's two due process clauses. What does that mean? Um, which I totally, I totally get. The Fifth Amendment binds the federal government. The Fourteenth Amendment binds the states. Okay, got it. So what we then have are fifty states, each with their own rules when it comes to marriage equality. Okay, so how do we get to the national decision on marriage equality? We get there from that favorite dance move of the Supreme Court, the circuit court split. And so a circuit split happens when. One circuit rules one way and another circuit rules the opposite way. And now you have, based on where you're living in the country, in the same United States of America, the law is two different things. So what happened with Obergefell and those associated cases were there were positive rulings towards marriage equality, saying that state level bans were unconstitutional in the fourth, the seventh, the ninth, and the tenth circuit. But if you lived in Ohio, Kentucky, Michigan, Tennessee, the bans were constitutional. And so that leaves a circuit split. The only people who can rectify a circuit split are the justices of the United States Supreme Court. So the court agrees to hear four cases, one from each state and the Sixth Circuit. And that is how we get to Jim Obergefell. So the first time I met John, honestly, he scared the daylights out of me because I was still a high school teacher I was still closeted and I went out with a friend of mine and we went to a bar near the University of Cincinnati where we had both graduated. So sitting at the bar was his friend John. It wasn't the first time they met that they got together, nor the second, but the third time they met each other 
they decided to be a couple. And John and I joked that for us, it wasn't love at first sight, it was love at third sight. We, yeah, became a couple. John tried to talk me out of it, said, Jim, I'm a mess. I've dated a lot of men. It never ended well, but I wouldn't be dissuaded. I wouldn't be talked out of it. So we became a couple. You know, that Hawaii case, which did not turn out the way we wanted it to. So that was when all of those state level domas started happening and also, you know, the federal level Defense of Marriage Act. So we just thought marriage is forever going to be something we're denied the ability to do. We just thought it was forever out of our reach. And tragically, in 2011, John was diagnosed with ALS and Jim devoted his life to taking care of him. June 26, 2013, I was standing next to John's bed because at the time he was in at-home hospice care and I was his full-time caregiver. Well, other than like four hours a week when the hospice nurses visited. So when we heard that the Supreme Court struck down the Defense of Marriage Act, I did. I just leaned over, hugged him and kissed him and said, let's get married. And luckily he said yes. But, you know, here we were living in Ohio, which had its own state-level version of the Defense of Marriage Act which meant I could not just put him in his wheelchair and take him six blocks to the county courthouse for a marriage license. So we had to figure out, well, where do we go? Where, where do I take this dying man to do something millions of people simply take for granted? Jim and John considered several cities in which they could get married, but they were all long drives away, severely uncomfortable for John in his wheelchair. But a friend of theirs suggested Maryland because Maryland was the only state that allowed just one member of a couple to apply for the marriage license, which meant John only had to travel for the ceremony itself. We also knew who was going to officiate because years before, John's Aunt Paulette had told us that in her opinion, we represented marriage better than any other couple she knew. And she as well wanted us to be able to marry one day. So she was more optimistic than we were, I guess, because Aunt Paulette, Aunt Tootie's her nickname, Aunt Tootie went to the internet where she clicked the ordain me button because she wanted to be able to officiate if we ever had the opportunity. So after I proposed to John, I called Aunt Tootie and said, Aunt Tootie, do you remember the promise you made or the offer you made to officiate? Does that still stand? And of course, Aunt Tootie said, absolutely, Jim, you tell me when and where I will be there. And because of John's condition, they booked a medical jet to get to Baltimore Airport. And we landed, parked on the tarmac, and got married. I got to take John's hand and we got to say, I, I thee wed, I do. And it really was the happiest moment of our lives. And shortly after their wedding, a lawyer friend of a friend of Jim and John's, Al Gerstein, asked to meet with them. So on Tuesday, five days after we got married, Al came to our home. And during that conversation, he pulled out that piece of paper that he had searched his files for, and it was a blank Ohio death certificate. And he said, now, my guess is you haven't really thought about this, because why would you be thinking about John's death certificate when you just got married? But do you guys, do you really get it? Do you understand that because of Ohio's Defense of Marriage Act, when John dies, his last official record as a person will be wrong? Ohio will say he's unmarried, And Jim, they're not going to list your name as his surviving spouse. Jim went to court and he sued eight days after their wedding. Who is he suing? Initially, he sued three parties, Governor John Kasich, Attorney General Mike DeWine, and the city of Cincinnati itself, as these are the three parties involved with death certificates. But they were married, right? 
And the state of Ohio refused to recognize that marriage? It did. And this was at the heart of their argument. Our legal argument was, in my opinion, so simple, so clear, so obvious. Because in Ohio, first cousins cannot get a marriage license. In Ohio, an underage couple cannot get a marriage license. However, if they're in another state that that will issue marriage license to first cousins or underage couples, and they get married in that state, as soon as they cross the border into Ohio, Ohio immediately says, your marriage exists, you get all of the rights, all of the protections, all of the responsibilities of a married couple, even though your marriage is one that cannot be entered into in Ohio. So our legal argument was, Ohio, you're, you're creating separate classes of people by recognizing some out-of-state marriages, but not others. At the beginning of the hearing, the Cincinnati city solicitor stood up in the courtroom and said, we don't want anything to do with this. John and Jim's marriage should be recognized. Wow. <laughs> and at five o'clock that day, July 22nd, we won. They won? They did. But if they won in Ohio, how did their case get up to the Supreme Court? Well, when John died and it came time to fill out that death certificate, the state had an opportunity to appeal, which it... Hey there, everyone. Hey, folks. The whole Civics 101 team is here in D.C. for a week. That's why you hear cars and stuff whizzing by. Uh, We are in the district to talk to the people that we talk about on a daily basis. And a lot of those people work in the executive branch. That is the largest employer in the world. And a lot of those people work in the civil service, where, after the assassination of James Garfield, it's a long story, they take an exam to make sure that they are the right person for their job. But if you run a business, and you're not the federal government, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all, but to match instead. With Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 23 hires are made on Indeed every minute, and their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use it, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash civics. Just go to Indeed.com slash civics right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash civics. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Dead. And so we get to the Supreme Court, four cases combined into one, each with unique circumstances. And since Jim and John's case had the lowest docket number, the Supreme Court case is heretofore referred to as Obergefell v. Hodges. 
Who is Hodges? Yeah, this is interesting. Jim told me that neither Governor Kasich or Attorney DeWine wanted their name attached to the case. So the only respondent was the director of the Ohio Department of Health, Rick Hodges. And as a quick side story, uh, sometime after the decision, a friend of Jim's asked if he wanted to meet Rick Hodges. And Jim was like, I don't know, Elena, do I? Because, you know, in my mind, even though I'd always thought he's, he's just a name, he's just a fall guy, I had no idea. I had no, no knowledge of this man, no clue what he really thought. So we met. And we are now close friends. Rick Hodges wasn't even remotely involved with the case and supported rights for LGBTQ plus couples. Getting back to the case, what were the arguments in court? Here's Melissa again. When the cases were consolidated, the court determined what the legal questions were going to be. They had two. The first question was, does the 14th Amendment require a state to license a marriage between two people of the same sex? The second question, and only um, the Obergefell case, the other three cases dealt with the licensure of marriage. Obergefell's case was a little different because it was asking the state to recognize a marriage that was not performed in that state. So the second legal question is, does the 14th Amendment require a state to recognize a marriage between two people of the same sex when their marriage was lawfully licensed and performed out of state. It seems that whenever we're exploring civil rights cases in the Supreme Court, the 14th Amendment, dealing with equal protection and due process for states, gets brought up. Yeah, and this time there's another constitutional issue, and this is exclusively related to Jim and John's case. It's Article 4 of the Constitution. That's something called the Full Faith and Credit Clause. Uh, The 14th Amendment does not require states with traditional marriage laws to recognize marriages from other states between two persons of the same sex. What about Article 4? I'm so glad to be able to quote a portion of the Constitution that actually seems to be relevant. Full faith and credit shall be given in each state to the public acts, records, and judicial proceedings of every other state. Now, why doesn't that apply? I asked Jim, who was in court during the arguments, what he remembered. And he said that two arguments stood out. One of the justices brought up the fact that in ancient Greece, based on what we know about Greek civilization, same-sex relations were okay. But there's no evidence that, that same-sex marriage was allowed. Well, wh- why, not? why not? Why do you think that is? And Mary Bonato, who did the arguments for the right to marry, she said, Your Honor, I, I'm in no place to even guess what ancient Greek philosophers thought or believed. It was just such a ridiculous argument. Who cares what happened in ancient Greece? But then the other one, which I love, again, I forget which justice this was, um, brought up that tired argument that, you know, those of us who were proponents of marriage equality, we were changing the definition of marriage because marriage had meant the same thing for millennia. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg jumped right in and said, no, I'm sorry, we already have changed the definition of marriage because women are no longer the property of their husbands. Also, Jim remembers this happening. There was somebody in the public seats who started screaming that we were all going to hell or things like that. 
at the start. And you could hear him as they're dragging him down the hallway, even though the, the courtroom doors were closed. He had quite the volume. Actually, Mr. Chief Justice, if the court is ready. We're ready. Okay. It's rather refreshing, actually. <laughs> Okay, so that's the anti-marriage equality. Folks, what are the arguments for it? I think the argument was best summarized in the opening line of the argument from Jim and John's advocate, Mary Bonato. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, the intimate and committed relationships of same-sex couples, just like those of heterosexual couples, provide mutual support and are the foundation of family life in our society. The arguments in court were at the end of April 2015, And as the court reads decisions on Mondays in May and June, Jim started going to D.C. every single week. I knew I had to be in the courtroom to hear the decision. It... I couldn't imagine not being there to hear what the highest court in the land said. And you know, I also have to be honest, Nick, from the very start, like, we're... we're winning this. We're on the right side. And as is often the case, the Supreme Court has a lot of decisions to read, so they were adding additional days. But then we were outside the courtroom on the 22nd when someone came running out to say, well, they just added Thursday, June 25th as a decision day. A few minutes later, someone else came running out and said, well, they just added Friday, June 26th as decision day. And I was there, Al was there, other attorneys on the case, plaintiffs, and we all looked at each other and said, it's going to be Friday, June 26th. And the reason we thought that was That's an important date for LGBTQ rights at the Supreme Court. United States versus Windsor, which struck down DOMA, came out on June 26, 2013. Lawrence versus Texas, which struck down anti-sodomy laws, came out on June 26. The decision was 5-4 in favor of Obergefell. Justice Anthony Kennedy delivered the opinion. The decision states that both the Due Process Clause and the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment guarantee the right of same-sex couples to marry. In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than they once were and would misunderstand petitioners to say that they disrespect or diminish the idea of marriage in these cases. They're pleased that they do respect it. They respect it so deeply they seek to find its fulfillment for themselves. They ask for equal dignity in the eyes of the law, and the Constitution grants them that right. For these reasons, and others set out in the opinion. And I burst into tears. You could hear people around the courtroom sobbing. Al told me later, because he was in the courtroom as well, he told me later that he has never seen so many attorneys crying in a courtroom. And, you know, of course, not surprising, my first thought was, John, I wish you were here. I wish you could experience this. I wish you knew that our marriage can never be erased. I wish you could know that I will always have the legal right to call you, to call myself your widower, to call you my husband. And I missed him desperately. But then I also had this amazing realization that for the first time in my life as an out gay man, I felt more like an equal American than I ever had before. And there were four separate dissents, one for each dissenting justice. And it's something rather rare. Each Supreme Court justice usually only does this like once a year. For the first time in his tenure on the court, Chief Justice Roberts read his dissent from the bench. Jim walked out of the courtroom. It was bedlam, celebration everywhere. 
He was being interviewed by CNN. And I finished that interview, and I turned around, I'm looking at the courthouse, and someone hands me my phone and says, Jim, you have a phone call. Hi, is this Jim? Yes, it is, Mr. President. Jim, the, uh, I, I figured when I saw you that we were going to be hoping for some good news, and we did. I just wanted to say congratulations. Thank you so much, uh, sir. I think it was your oh, wishes. <laughs> Here I am, in the midst of this joyful crowd, having a conversation on speaker with President Obama. Yeah, I remember seeing on the news tons of people getting married immediately. My friends were so excited. Some of them were crying. Um, A lot of them made wedding plans that day. Yeah, and I just got some data on this. In 2019, the Census Bureau released an estimation that there are right now nearly one million Americans in same-sex marriages. And that's one of the reasons Jim says that regardless of the structure and ideology of the Supreme Court, this decision will last forever. It's hard for the Supreme Court to take rights away from people that it has previously granted. But he also says that the work's not done. I like to say, yes, we have the right to get married in all 50 states, but we don't enjoy marriage equality. We're far from enjoying marriage equality. I mean, we still have businesses photographers, bakers, event venues who don't don't want to, even though their business open to the public, if you happen to be a same-sex couple, they, they want the right to say that their religious beliefs are more important than someone else's civil and human rights. And there are still court officials and judges who have stopped doing all marriages because they don't want to officiate marriages for two people of the same sex. Nick, it's a tremendous victory. But I just want to point out that this story doesn't have a happy ending. Just like how DOMA passed after the Hawaii case, there was a national backlash in the wake of the Obergefell decision. And this is specifically anti-transgender legislation. Jim told me about the recent Supreme Court case, Bostock v. Clayton County, which ruled that an employer who fires someone for being gay or transgender violates the Civil Rights Act of 1964. But that decision was six to three. And it doesn't apply to everyone. But that doesn't apply to every job. That doesn't apply to everyone. So we still aren't equal in our jobs. So if if you're married, you have a family, and you lose your job because... Someone doesn't like you solely because you're LGBTQ+, well, that certainly isn't marriage equality. In 2021, there have been, so far, over 100 bills introduced to restrict trans rights. Yeah, I've actually been fired for being queer, and it was devastating. There was nothing I could do about it. And this is something we see in every civil rights case. You can change legislation, but you can't change people's attitudes. And uh, that's it, I guess. Not just for this case, but for our civil rights in the Supreme Court series. We hope you enjoyed it. And we hope you follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to keep finding out about how our government works. And make sure to visit our website, civics101podcast.org, where you can get transcripts, teacher-created lesson plans, activities, and so much more. We've thanked her before during this series, but I'm going to do it again. These Supreme Court episodes would not have been possible without the tireless help of Rebecca Fanning from the U.S. courts. She got such a tremendous number of judges to talk to us about these cases, it made our jobs so much easier. And you can check out any of their great judicial resources at uscourts.gov. 
This episode was produced by me, Nick Capodice, with help from Jackie Fulton, Hannah McCarthy, Mitch Skaki, and Christina Phillips. Erica Janik is our executive producer. Special thanks to Person A, Fendel Fulton. Music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions, Cycle Hiccups, Randy Butternub, Scott Gratton, Ikimashu Oi, and the wondrous Chris Zabriskie. Also, I'd like to extend a special thanks to Jim Obergefell for his and John's tireless efforts and all the others that put everything on the line to make it possible so we can be married. Aww. <laughs> all right. What's that place you've always wanted to try? Well, you're there. Sharing plates with just one bite. Or on second thought, maybe not sharing. It's that good. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.